This session, we're going to talk about something which, when you first think about it, seems completely different. Because, you know, we've talked a lot about the fossils and the flood and carbon-14 and, you know, the, the ark and all these different kind of things. And those things are very important. I do not minimize the importance of those things because we're supposed to be ready always with an answer. But in this session, we're going to talk about worship. And when you think about it, you go, wait a minute, you know, we've been talking about creation and evolution all weekend. What, is, what does this have to do with worship? I mean, what does the book of Genesis have to do with our worship? You know what the answer to that question is? Everything. Because what do we gather in God's house to do? Worship. Who do we gather to worship? God. Now, if we're going to gather to worship God, does it make sense that we would want to know something about God? I mean, if we're going to worship God, we're going, to, you know, we're, we're going to come together and raise our hearts and our minds and our voices in praise and worship to this God. It would make sense to me that we would want to know something about this God. So how does this God reveal himself to us? I mean, how can I, how can I understand attributes of the character of this God we worship? Studying the Bible. We can actually read the Word of God and understand aspects or attributes of the character of God. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by Him. What does all mean? All means all. These are easy questions. All means all. All things were made by him. Hang on to that thought. We're going to move to Colossians 1. For by him were all things, what? Created. Well, that's that word again. That are in heaven, that are in earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things were created by him. He's the one that created all things. You think that he thinks that's important? You think that's an important attribute of the character of the God we serve? He says he's the one who created all things. You know what the problem is? The vast majority of Christians don't believe that. The vast majority of Christians have been taught to think like the world. They've been evolutionized. The thing is, we're here to influence them. How come the world's influenced the church? And again, when I say church, I don't mean this church specifically. I mean church in the global sense. But the vast majority of churches out there accept evolution. The God I worship, the God I serve, says he's the one who created all things. And the God I serve, the God I worship, is not a liar. And guess what, folks? If, if, uh, if this is true, we got a problem. Fourteen and a half billion years ago, nothing exploded. And after nothing exploded, the things started bumping together and the stars and the galaxies formed themselves and our sun formed five billion years ago. Then the earth was a hot molten blob, got covered by water, and biological evolution happened, and this happened. And that happened. Which order, I'll let you determine an evolutionary worldview. But nonetheless, if we are just a chemical accident, if the Big Bang is true, you know what God is? 
He's a liar. And I say that with all understanding of where I am right now. I do not say that flippantly or with any humor. If evolution's true, God's a liar. Because if evolution's true, God did not create all things. Most things created themselves. Which is why I really sometimes... There, there are things that particularly annoy me. About 12,000 of them. But nonetheless, people say, I don't have a problem with the Big Bang as long as God did it. I hear that all the time. And it just gets on my last nerve. I don't have a problem with the Big Bang as long as God did it. I do. You know why? It's not what he said he did. And if the Big Bang's true, this is true. You can't have it both ways. And I say that as somebody who was an evolutionist at one point. I never really took the time to think it through. If evolution's true, God did not create all things. If evolution's true, this is true. We're just a chemical accident. And if the world is right, if evolution's true, here's a great question. I want you to think about this. What is man? If evolution's true, what is man? And philosophers and scientists have thought about this over decades now. They've come up with some really great answers. We are a curious accident in a backwater. We are just a bit of slime on the planet. Are you feeling better about yourself yet? Well, you will by the time I get through. I've got a few more. You're going to love these. We are a fortuitous cosmic afterthought. A tiny little twig on the enormously arborescent bush of life. Now, I kind of liked that one when I first read it. I thought, that's really cool. It's kind of poetic. I talked to my wife. I said, honey, we're a twig on the bush of life. And she said, Tommy, it just means you're rearranged pines come. And I do have a quote in my files at the office from an evolutionist who says, human beings are just rearranged pines come. I've got several quotes from different evolutionists and different naturalists and materialists uh, in our files. One of these guys has basically said that human beings are parasites. We are parasites on Mother Earth. We are leaving irreparable scars on Gaia, on Mother Earth. And you know what his solution is? 90% of the human population needs to be eradicated. Now, I'd love to talk to this guy and ask him if he's in the 10% that gets to stay or the 90% that has to go. But see, that's the thing. We're just a cosmic accident. We're nothing. Here's what Richard Dawkins said. We live in a universe which has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, he'd be a blast to go have a pizza with, don't you think? About the second slice of pepperoni, you'd be running out in the middle of the road. I mean, I mean, how, how, what, what's this guy even, how's he get out of bed? We live in a universe which has no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And guess what, folks? If evolution's true, he's right. You know what he says about death? He says, I'm going to die. And when I die, I'm going to be dead. And when I'm dead, nobody's ever, I'm never going to know I was here. You're never going to know I was here. You're never going to care. When I die, I'm dead and I'm going to be gone and nobody's going to care. And having said that, he spends every waking moment hating Christian and Christianity. But you know, at the end of the day, he's not mad at me or you. You know who he's mad at? He's mad at God. There's a fundamental disconnect in the way the man thinks. There's a large group of people who are simply uncomfortable with accepting evolution because it leads to what they perceive as a moral vacuum in which their best impulses have no basis in nature. 
Dawkins again, you know, Mr. Cheerful. All I can say is that's just tough. We have to face up to the truth. I do not see how the man gets out of bed in the morning. If that's his worldview, it's just tough. We have to face up to the truth. Well, the truth is this. We're not just rearranged pond scum. We're not a bit of slime on the planet. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created I'm not a bit of slime. You're not a bit of slime. Guess what? We're made in the image of God. And you know, in the very first verse of Scripture, we find out something about the God we serve. In the beginning, God what? Created the heaven and the earth. Do you think God thinks that's important? He tells us over and over and over and over. And guess what? We still don't get it. In the very first verse of Scripture, he tells us something about himself. And then we continue to ignore the rest of that first chapter. I'm going to tell you something that happens far too often. I speak at a lot of youth conferences. And, you know, I I, I sit and talk to the youth and try to answer their questions. And I'll tell you something that's happened. This is a couple of dozen times over the last eight or ten years. I'll have some young uh, man or young lady come up to me and they have their Bible. And you can look in their face and just see that they're struggling with something. And, And they come up to me and they say, Dr. Tommy, i got a question for you. I said, yeah, let's sit down and talk about it. I said, you look troubled. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get this straight in my mind. You know, you know Dr. Tommy, my, my pastor, he's a good man. He's a godly man. He, he, he's a soul winner. And we go door knocking. And, man, he just, he's on fire for Jesus and stuff. But he says, you know, we, he says evolution's okay. We can just accept anything we want to about evolution. It doesn't matter what you believe about Genesis. But he's such a godly man. I, I still want to think he's wrong. And, and I think he's sincere. But, you know, I've been reading my Bible and reading it and reading it. Dr. Tommy, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I know my pastor says that I don't have to believe Genesis is real, but it seems to me like this. If Genesis 1-1's not real history, why should I believe John 3-16? You know what I tell them? You just figured it out. Because Genesis is written as history, so are the Gospels. You don't get to pick and choose. It's either all true or none of it's true. But see, you've got so many pastors out there telling their congregation, you can just accept whatever you want to about Genesis because Genesis can't be history. You know why? The scientists say it's not real. The scientists say the millions of years and carbon-14 and the dinosaurs died out millions of years ago. We're going to take what the scientists say about Genesis, but we're going to believe the Gospels. And that's really inconsistent because I am a professional physician. I have studied dead. When you're dead, you're dead. First day of medical school, they teach you that. When you're dead, you're dead. Try to keep people from getting dead. That's the the whole point of the game. Don't let people get dead. When you're dead, you're dead. So we're going to believe what the scientists say about Genesis, but guess what? We're going to ignore the scientists when they say people don't rise from the dead. That's very convenient. So we're going to accept what the scientists say there because Richard Dawkins will directly tell you that people don't rise from the dead. My wife is an obstetrician. She'll tell you that young ladies who are virgins don't have babies. We're going to accept that part, but we're going to to believe what the scientists say over here, but we're going to hang on to this part over here. Well, how do you know? I mean, what gives you the right to do that? Either scientists are right or they're wrong. See, Christians get to pick and choose what, what they want to believe. There was a pastor that came to the museum, 
couple of years ago, and he went on one of our pastor's tours, and he came up to me after it was over, and he said, well, Tommy, this is, you know, this, 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 this nice museum, but, you know, you wasted all this money because nobody even cares about this issue. None of this stuff matters to anybody. And I said, well, that's news to us because over 20 years of ministry, we found out this matters to lots of people. But why would you say that? Well, it doesn't matter what you believe about Genesis, Tommy. He said, it just doesn't matter. You know, I tell my congregation they can believe anything they want to about Genesis. They're a bunch of soul winners, and they're out doing stuff for the Lord. I just don't know why you guys even care about Genesis. It doesn't matter what you believe about Genesis. That's why I just tell them they can just believe anything they want to. And I said, well, okay, let me just step back a minute. So you tell them they can believe anything they want to about Genesis. Well, what part of the Bible are they supposed to believe? Well, they're supposed to believe the gospel. I said, okay, so you tell your congregation Genesis is myth, fable, fairy tale if they want to believe that, but they've got to believe the gospel. I said, on who or by what authority do you tell your congregation that? He said, mine. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm their pastor. They're supposed to believe what I tell them to believe. And I said, well, that's not what my Bible says about pastoral authority, but nonetheless, so you tell them they can believe this part, but they don't have to believe that part, and they do it on your authority. I said, does your assistant pastor go along with that? He said, well, he's never complained. I said, what about your deacons? Well, they guess they think I'm a good guy. They haven't run me off yet. I said, what about the people in your church? Well, nobody seemed to question it. So I said, by your authority and no other, they got to believe the Gospels, but they don't have to believe Genesis. I tell you what, Pastor, let me do this. Let me come to your church next Sunday. You meet me out on the front steps at 30 minutes before your, comp, before your sermon starts. I said, and we'll go find the first 12-year-old kid that we run into, and we'll ask them if they believe that nonsense. Because I promise you, they'll see right through that. Believe this part, but you don't have to believe that part. You get to pick and choose. And see, that's what our young people are seeing. You've got so many churches saying you get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible you want to believe. It's either all true or none of it's true. So guess what? If Genesis 1-1 isn't true, i got a problem. But because I know Genesis 1-1 is true, you know what else I know? I know that stone rolled away. Becomes clear now the whole justification of Jesus' life and death is predicated on the existence of Adam and the forbidden fruit he and Eve ate. Without the original sin, who needs to be redeemed? Without Adam's fall into a life of constant sin terminated by death, what purpose is there to Christianity? None. Like I said, it continually amazes me that the secular world sees these issues so clearly and the church doesn't get it. You know, if, Adam, if, we, if evolution's true, Adam and Eve are a myth. If Adam and Eve are a myth, there's no original sin. If there's no original sin, why did Jesus go to the cross? And let me say it again loud and clear. I'm, this is not a salvation issue. You can be an evolutionist and be a Christian. Some of the finest soul winners I know are, are evolutionists. They're inconsistent, but they're evolutionists. They're going to be in heaven. That's not, a, that's not an issue. This is not a salvation issue. It's an issue of biblical authority. And it does affect your evangelism. Jesus Christ is the last Adam. To me, that makes no sense if there wasn't a first Adam. John 3, 12. If I've told you earthly things you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You know, at the end of the day, this isn't hard. And we have so many people that, that, that struggle with the, with the heavenly things. You know, we want to understand, you know, uh, justification and sanctification and, you know, to me, trying to even begin to wrap my mind around this whole concept, this whole idea of the grace of God, I just can't do 